Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome, Catherine, to the Military Wi-Fi podcast. If we can first start by you telling us how you met your defence member and how your love story began. So we have probably somewhat of a maybe unusual story for these days. It was probably a bit more common like 50 years ago because we actually met through ballroom dancing. So I had been doing dancing for a while and was going to move into the competitive side of um, dancing as opposed to just the classes. And Stuart was currently doing competition and his partner at the time was needing to finish. She was moving into state with her husband. And so... Yeah, we basically were a good height match um, to start with. So the studio owners, um, our teachers said, hey, why don't you two have a go and, and try out together and see how that works. So yeah, we danced together for a few months and we were like, oh, this is actually pretty easy and we get along and there's a lot of kind of commonality in our backgrounds and a lot of shared values. And so basically it just progressed because we'd been spending a lot of time together and it was a really easy relationship. After a little while, then we, yeah, started dating. We kept dancing together. And then after a year of dating, we got engaged and then a few months later got married. I guess on the flip side, when you met, you formed a friendship and it was a partnership for dancing. So I guess you weren't sort of looking at it like, you know, someone in defence is not someone that I would go forward with a relationship with or what does a defence member even mean and what's the requirements of their job. So when it did come time for you guys to, I guess, explore going forward in a relationship, did you give it any extra thought with the fact that he was a defence member? Yeah, so we talked about that pretty early on. And I think um, because, you know, there already had been some times where he'd missed lessons and things because of work and, and those commitments, that gave me a little bit of an insight into potentially what our like romantic relationship could look like. And we had like our first date and then I think that was like a Tuesday night and literally like a week later he then left for three weeks and so you know he came back from that trip and it was at that point we were like okay well let's actually unpack this and and have a pretty serious conversation about is that style of relationship something that I would be able to manage and handle is it something that I'd be interested in so he was really upfront quite early on about what his life looked like at that particular point in time, which I appreciated. And, you know, we were both late 20s by the time we met. So I think we kind of knew that we didn't want to be in this just for the sake of, you know, having someone to go to the movies with. Like we were seriously looking for something that's going to be long term. Yeah, we unpacked that pretty quickly and and decided that it was actually going to be a relationship that we thought was worth pursuing. Even having that conversation and getting on the same page and, and feeling like you both know what the requirements of a defense relationship are and what you're sort of getting into you can never really fully understand until you start living it and I guess go forward and experience it you can you know research it or talk about it as much as you like but it's just 
just sort of you just have to live it and see how it goes. What was your introduction to defense life like once you had been together a little bit? And, you know, what was the moment where you thought, oh, okay, this is defense life or I am with a defense member. That's what it means for our relationship. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting kind of situation in that, like I was, you know, working and had family in location and those sorts of things. So I already had like a really strong social network and a life kind of that I was living before I met him. So once we got together, a lot of that kind of support network and things was still there. But the reality of him being in defense kind of set in pretty quickly. You know, we got engaged and then we basically had three weeks to book in all the major stuff for our wedding because then he was going to be gone for six weeks and then you know the first year we were married he was basically gone for three weeks home for six weeks gone for three weeks kind of structure so he missed a a big chunk of our first year of marriage but that was you know in some ways not a bad thing I always say that you know I'd gone from living by myself so he would go away and I'd get to the point of really missing him and then he'd come home and we'd frustrate each other being in each other's spaces and putting things in the way in the wrong spot in the cupboard and and then you know it'd be time for him to go again and I'd come back to missing him so it was kind of a nice transition into that situation but yeah my understanding of what defense life was actually going to be was pretty basic I didn't really have much day-to-day comprehension of what his life looks like and I think the, the struggle as well is you know your husband comes home from work and you're like, oh, what did you do today? And, you know, they might say, oh, I met with this person or that person and and they can give you a, a description of what they've done. Whereas, you know, when you marry someone in defence, that's not always going to be a possibility. They actually sometimes can't discuss the details of their day. So, you know, even having to kind of accept that his kind of answer about, well, how was your day? It's, it was good. And it's like, all right, well, cool. We'll leave it at that and move on. And now you can sit there and I'm going to give you, you know, chapter and verse about my life and what I've done for the day, because there is no issue with me talking about mine. Also, when you went forward with your relationship and became serious and then got engaged and obviously all the wedding stuff sort of started happening you were in your location where your you know your friends and your family and and everything that I guess you knew was there for you to I guess be busy with um, even when he was away so do you think that helped that you were it's kind of like he was at the time an add-on and a a positive extra bit to your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he would go away, but just because he was gone, you know, my day-to-day life kind of kept going in that I still had to go to work. And I think as well, because I had previously lived by myself for a while, I was used to my own company and, you know, grocery shopping for one person was not an issue. And I was able to, you know, actually use that time where sometimes when people get married or, you know, you have those friends that start a new relationship and, and suddenly you never see them. I was like, well, he's gone, right? Friday night, it's girls night. We're going out for drinks after work and just, you know, catch up with people that maybe I wouldn't necessarily have done before. And then, you know, I had a few friends who were like, oh, he's away. Oh, come for dinner. I was like, excellent. I will definitely do that. So I think it was easier because those transitions were happening somewhere that I yeah, already had a very well-established life. And so can you tell us whereabouts you're posted at the moment and what field your defence member works in? Does it take him away a lot or what, what's sort of required of his job? So we are currently in Adelaide and we've just moved back here at the start of the year. So we actually met um, here in Adelaide and yeah, at the moment, no, he's able to be at home pretty much all the time which is really good. And so he works as a software engineer. So just looking at yeah different things to do with 
the software and, and things for aircraft. And yeah, a lot of kind of meetings and, and things for him, I think, as well. Yeah, he doesn't need to travel, which is kind of nice with this position. And what is the near future likely to hold regarding postings and I guess possible time away from you? What's the sort of general plan for, for his job and, you know, as much as you can predict it? Yeah, so it is hard to predict always. We moved back to Adelaide knowing that, you know, they'd sort of give us a year here was guaranteed and then we'd have to kind of wait and see what happened. So he's been in for long enough now that um, boards and promotions can play a factor in that as well. So basically if he gets promoted, then that opens up one range of jobs um, and would potentially mean that we'd need to move on to a different location. And then if he doesn't get promoted, then it's likely that we could, you know, sort of stay here for a couple more years, which would be kind of nice um, having only just moved back at the start of the year to have a bit of extra time with friends and family would be really good. It's also a hard kind of conversation when it's like, oh, we're now back with friends. I'm like, oh, if they do try and send us away, do I really want to be going? Do we start thinking maybe what does life outside defence look like? Is this somewhere we want to stay long term? I think the conversation has changed for us because we've got a, a little girl, she's four months old. So then you're starting to think, you know, like what sort of situation do we want to be raising her in? Do we want to be near family? Do we squeeze in one more three-year posting and then try and settle somewhere once she's starting school? So yeah, we're actually kind of, that's the conversation that we're in the middle of having now is just trying to work out, you know, what's going to be the best thing for us as a family moving forwards um, in the next few years. Has COVID played any part in that in regard to, you know, if for instance, you know, you've had the great situation where you've been able to have your first child in the location where you've got friends and family and a network and support and it'd be really hard to leave that like you mentioned but if you were to go to an interstate posting does COVID factor into that because it's not as easy to get back to see family and friends and to travel and I guess to have that balance? Oh it definitely does so we were actually in Melbourne last year so we had all of those crazy lockdowns and I'm a teacher so I was teaching from home and um, Stu was basically working from home from like March through till December so we've lived that reality and our family is quite spread out so we have family in Western Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland, Victoria and South Australia. So currently with border changes and things, we have a lot of family members, immediate family members that haven't had the chance to come and meet the baby. um, And we're not even sure when that potentially could happen. So it's sort of that chance of, okay, well, do we try and stay here in South Australia where at least some of our extended family are able to be on hand and and enjoy the baby in all her various stages or if we do end up you know moving somewhere we do that with the realization that okay so actually maybe this is quite hard and and now people can't come and visit her and us and what does that look like as a reality of a day-to-day life yeah it's definitely a, a complicating factor but I think that's the same for everyone at the moment does the prospect of posting to another location now that you have a little one does it feel like it's kind of like posting for the first time again because you have all of these different things you need to consider like you need to consider where you might work whether it's child friendly hours and whether there's a daycare and all I guess all of that sort of stuff have you sort of been thinking about those kind of factors when the possibility of posting and 
I guess the added layers that now having being a parent and having a child adds to that? Oh, absolutely. It definitely makes it a lot more complicated. I mean, never mind the fact that for something so small, she has a ridiculous amount of stuff. I'm like, the thought of moving all of her things is just ridiculous. But it's also just like here um, in Adelaide, I have a lot of connections. I know a lot of people. Realistically, it would be relatively easy for me to get the amount of work that I'm interested in and yeah that that possibility of having you know potentially family and friends helping out with the childcare and and watching her when I'm back at work to think if I go back to work and we're in a different location like is it actually even you know financially viable like am I going to make any money or are we just going to waste it all on childcare or is it you know going to be worth me just staying home with her full time but then I think on the flip side as well I mean when you move around and you're kind of just a couple you sort of have to work a bit harder to actually meet people. Like you have to go, okay, well, I'm interested in whatever it might be. I'm interested in soccer. So we go and join a soccer team or those kind of things. Whereas when you have kids, you know, by the time you go to a play group and you go to story time at the library and some of those things that happen for kids, it kind of helps you to make that network of people a little bit quicker, particularly for me, like as the the non-defence member. I mean, there's definitely things available for defence partners and families when you're in different locations, but that wider network of of not just relying on defence people is definitely, I think, easier when you've got kids. They're a good icebreaker. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Everyone can understand not sleeping. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or wanting to go somewhere for a coffee and needing to know where there is like a pram-friendly cafe or, you know, all of the the important things. You mentioned that you are a teacher and obviously that's your field of work. How did you envision your career working alongside Defence Life and moving and did you kind of have a plan of how that would work or did you just kind of figure it out along the way? Um, It's definitely been a bit of a figure it out along the way situation and I mean my career has probably taken some hits um, along the way. So when we met and got married, I was working and I was just starting to move into some leadership positions at my school, a little bit more sort of time outside the classroom, which I was really enjoying. And then the first posting we actually did together was to the US. So uh, Stuart did his master's at a university in Florida. And that was one of those, you've been accepted, you're leaving in eight weeks. kind of situation so well I worked for the three weeks to finish out the term and then it was pack up your life and off we go so that was kind of a challenge and then we knew it we were only in the US for like 18 months so I didn't work over there which was a very big challenge when you have something that's become integral to your identity your work who we are it's it's a big focus in our culture And then I didn't have that. So that was a whole lot of issues and unpacking and and things that I went through. And then moving back, fortunately, teaching is something that is always needed. And there are multiple avenues of it. So basically, I met some people and they were like, oh, you know, we work at this school. And I'm like, great, that's awesome. And I started out just doing relief teaching. And then I moved to like a short term contract with the school. And then the following year, I was full time. And then the year after that, again, I moved into more leadership positions and and had quite a lot of responsibility. We were starting a secondary campus um, of the school. So I was able to participate in that which was amazing but you know again it was one of those situations where the principal approached me and said would you be interested in this and I said absolutely I'd love to but here's my caveat like I can only guarantee that I'm going to be here up until the end of you know this point so I needed to be I felt for me personally I needed to be upfront about that and just say 
as much as I'd love to know I can give five, 10 years to this, this school and, and what's happening with this growth and expansion, that's not a possibility. So that was really challenging to walk away from everything I'd invested um, at that point. And particularly because we launched it last year. Um, so I had about eight and a half weeks with my class and then we were in remote learning and we did 18 weeks of remote learning for across terms two and three. And then we were back on campus in term four. So like we had all these grand plans of things we wanted to do and achieve and the way we wanted to establish this secondary um, campus for the school. And then all those plans got thrown out the window. So leaving was a little bit difficult. And I felt that I wasn't able to fully realize all of the things that I'd hoped in that situation. My principal's amazing and she has said, you know, as long as she's the principal, um, I will always have a, a position available. She's like, we'll just make room for you, which is kind of nice to hear. But at the same time, you go, well, it's defence and the likelihood of getting posted back to that location is pretty small. So, yeah, it's definitely been a challenge for me. And even things like juggling like maternity leave. And, you know, we were due to move on and, and fortunately I was able to negotiate my end date a little bit with the school and, and do a few little bits and pieces so that like I was eligible for maternity leave because otherwise, yeah, I mean, it, it's disappointing and I, I can understand that there's probably a lot of defence wives and partners who who don't have access to those sorts of things because of the nature of moving on on such a regular basis. Or even having to, I guess, move on. And for instance, if they're six months pregnant, obviously there's no way by the time you get settled in the next location, you're going to be able to find another job. <laughs> like, so you're resigned to the fact of you can't basically look for another job until, you know, you're coming back off maternity leave in air quotes, if you're even, like you mentioned, eligible to be able to take that maternity leave. And then that, that's, you know, a whole another layer of stress if you can't actually access the maternity leave that you may have been entitled to or you know that you've had to leave midway through a contract or whatever the case is. Nine out of ten defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh and if you really want to go to a branch you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. And going back to, I guess, the overseas posting and you like working through that loss of identity because when your career is chugging along and you've got all of these goals and, you know, you're working your way up, you do connect your identity to your career and future plans and all of that. Aside from that, obviously going overseas and going on that adventure with your husband, obviously it's a great thing that he was able to, to do to get that posting and to be able to do that. But also financially, um, aside from the fact of your, your identity and grappling with that, financially you have to sort of come to terms with that. But then also even if you did want to work overseas, it's not the easiest process. You still need to get, you know, working visas and pay and bop over training and all of that sort of stuff. So sometimes it actually isn't even viable for you to be able to work overseas. Yeah, definitely. And for us, because we knew it was a short posting and we went for the start of the academic school year for the university where he was going to be studying. So we sort of arrived 
end of August, start of September, which by that point, schools over there where I could potentially have taught have already started for the year. So there's, you know, their staffing's potentially already set. But then once I'm in location, it was going to take up to 12 weeks for me to get my paperwork through to be able to apply for jobs and work and so then it's like well is it really worth the hassle because I'm not going to be able to necessarily work as a teacher because they're not necessarily going to recognize my qualifications and as I was there and chatted to a few people that I met along the way every state in the U.S. does it differently but then within that potentially every county within a state can have different expectations and and different guidelines of what they want. And so to try and get your head around that in a really short space of time and and be getting established and yeah, that was going to be, I think, a little bit too much for me to try and handle at that point. So it was, essentially, it wasn't going to be worth the effort for me to do it. So, you know, I spent most of my time planning holidays and um, trying (laughs) to, you know, figure out what should we do and, you know, working on my cooking and, and a few other things. So yeah, for sure. it, ma- it didn't make sense to me to kind of go through all of that effort. And then again, it, it complicates things as well, because then you're declaring foreign income on your tax when you come back to Australia and just, yeah, it, yeah. it would get ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then the whole, you know, the bonus of doing an overseas posting is that you post COVID or before pre-COVID is that you can take advantage of the fact that you can travel to lots of different places while you're over there. And, you know, that's a bonus of defense life. So it's like, well, yeah. do I do I go through all of this to get a job and be able to financially contribute or do I against everything that's in my head that's telling me like don't get the job but then also make the most of the posting by um, traveling as much as you can so things like you know push and pull of what you've previously been sort of had this thought process of like my career and this is where I'm going this is where I'm heading and you know keep going sort of thing and then you're like okay don't do that now (laughs) now stay at home travel yeah, oh, and yeah. It, was, it was interesting as well because, I mean, like I said before, Stu was gone for quite a lot of our first year of marriage and we'd only been married a year and a half when we we took this overseas posting and then suddenly he's doing a master's course so his lectures are in the evening. So we're both at home in our apartment together throughout the day and just like that volume of time that we were spending together and then we we managed to do a big road trip for like four weeks and and stuff. And it's like, I love you, but oh my gosh, we're spending a lot of time together and we might kill each other. However, good training for lockdown last year. We we managed to get through it all pretty well. Exactly. Um, Because then you don't even have like people that you've met enough to be able to, I'm heading over to this person's house to decompress because we've been together all the time and I'm not used to that. And I need to be around someone else (laughs) yeah and and even like practical things that you know we went down to one car instead of two cars because partly our our apartment only came with one parking space but also we just weren't using a car enough and and so yeah it's just all practical things like that as well that start to play into it but yeah it was it was challenging to meet people and I was only just at the point of feeling like I sort of had a couple of girls maybe that I was at that point of like being able to say hey can I come over because I just need a break and and it's time to sort of we're starting to wind up and we're looking at uplift dates and and there's this natural thing where at that point I think we start to to pull away a little bit from the relationships because we're we're so forward focused on what's coming next and and how are we going to get from A to B that you know we kind of I think in some ways we do it a little bit to protect ourselves in that 
it hurts a little bit less if you're kind of not as involved in the day-to-day of a friend at, right at that point when you suddenly have to say goodbye. But yeah, so I didn't really have too much time where I could actually feel those connections and those relationships and and actually work on having a, a friend to be like, hey, let's go shopping, let's go for coffee. And mind you, I mean, I don't drink coffee, but from all reports, the coffee shops in our area were not worth going to because the coffee was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a challenge. You just sort of, I think, having to constantly be investing in relationships and these are all people who don't know me, they don't know my history, that every story requires an explanation. Whereas when you're with people that have known you for a few years, you can talk about, oh, when this happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I remember that. There's a context for maybe where you're coming from or, you know, they can connect to it because they've been in a similar place or had a similar experience. It just, yeah. You, you think that, oh, I mean, that we were in America. You think that they speak English, it's going to be pretty similar. But there's a surprisingly vast range of differences and some of them are quite significant just yeah. in culture. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, in some of your previous jobs you had you know made your way to some really good leadership positions and built you know worked your way up and built those bonds with the work environment and the people that you worked with and you know you have that offer of if you're ever back in this location the school will take you back on no questions sort of thing and some people might hear that and think oh well you know you've worked your way up to leadership positions so you can just go to another state and and start at that level but it, it's not all, always the case in different fields and, you know, the typical or the the areas that defence spouses do tend to gravitate to, like, you know, nursing and teaching and those kind of jobs that do travel well, you kind of think, oh, well, you could just pick pick up the job and go to another state and, you know, it's kind of the same or, you know, you just have to adjust or learn some new things and you fit back into a workplace. But that's not always the case. It doesn't really matter even if you were in a leadership position. It's, you know, there's other people that are working their way up to those leadership positions as well when you arrive there. So have you found that that that's the case when you go to another location that it's not necessarily the case where you go back into the same level that you worked your way up to? Yeah, I definitely think there's a, an element of that. So it's even things like um, each state for teaching has a different teacher's registration board. So um, I'm currently registered to teach in Victoria. If I want to apply for a position here in South Australia, then I need to transfer my registration over. And just little things like that where, you know, that can take time. Um, obviously, different principals and different schools might be willing to weigh in on that process or, or perhaps be able to take it as kind of we know you had this position and and we know you're registered and we're happy to run with that or or whatever but yeah there's definitely other people who are wanting to have those leadership positions and the other thing as well is normally we're moving and like the defense member gets a certain amount of time for their relocation but then they're straight into a new job as well and and their job is guaranteed like you know you can rock up into a location on Friday and they need to be at work the following Friday or earlier and so I think some of that unpacking the house and organizing bits and pieces falls then to us which I mean I don't mind but then it does actually sometimes delay our ability to to be looking for work or yeah I mean for some people maybe they can sort positions before they arrive in town which would be amazing for them but yeah we don't have the same provision of being able to perhaps you know fly interstate for a a meeting to do an interview or those kind of things so 
yeah, it can be tricky. I know when we came back from the US, I the timing of it was not going to work out. Like positions would have been pretty well filled and we didn't know what area we were going to be living in. So like, how can I interview for a job? I didn't want to end up doing an hour and a half commute every day. Yeah, there's a lot of just other factors that, that play into our ability to be able to get work. And then even once we've done that, you know, our, our workplace is willing to take us on knowing that we can only guarantee potentially a certain amount of time. I think teaching is a good profession in that um, it's heavily female driven. And so they're used to people coming back part time or taking you know, leave to raise families and there's a lot of flexibility and your skill set is reasonably transferable. It's kind of a, a tricky situation to move your career constantly. Especially if you have long-term goals that, you know, are dependent on where you are and I guess being able to work towards those long-term goals um, when you don't have control of your location or the job prospects and that sort of thing is is hard to come around to. Yeah. Definitely. And so you mentioned that you obviously had your first child together um, not long ago, but so when you were, you know, thinking about starting a family, did you talk about how that would work in with postings or, you know, how did you sort of work that alongside Defence Life or was it just like it'll happen when it happens or did you kind of put some planning into it when, you know, in regard to postings and, and where you would be? We didn't really put it into like location specific or posting specific things we sort of had more of a time frame so we knew we wanted to give ourselves um, a little bit of time just being a married couple and and navigating through all of those adjustments and and what that might look like for us the hard part for us was then that when we were looking to start a family um, it, it actually took us a number of years to fall pregnant so trying to have some sort of continuity of care in terms of fertility treatments and doctors who know our situation, that was really challenging. So we started looking into some of those things when we were actually in the US and um, investigating, you know, what was going on and then continued that in Melbourne. And then, yeah, I moved states at like 35 weeks pregnant and met my new obstetrician who was going to deliver my baby and, and those sorts of things. So I think, unfortunately, the reality is that for most couples, falling pregnant and and starting a family is not actually an easy journey. And so as much as we might like to put a plan in place and and have an idea, you can't guarantee that that's going to happen because there's often a lot of challenges. For me, I'd come to realise that there would be no guarantee that I would be able to start my family and, and have my child sort of here in South Australia where um, I grew up and am from and and have family. So when we did actually have the opportunity for that to be the case, I I was extremely grateful that we were able to be here and and share this time with family. So did you make use of any of or have you made use of any spouse support? Have you connected in with any like community events or defence community house or anything spouse defence related? Yeah, different things at different times. When we are in the US, we were in a location that didn't have a base. Our closest sort of base was an hour and a half away, and obviously that's a a US base. And so then when we came back to Melbourne, I got onto like the DCO email list and I went along to some coffee mornings. And at that point, it was sort of a challenge for me to do that, to really go, okay, I'm going to just step out there and and rock up to these, you know, look for the orange bag on the table and, and randomly introduce myself to some strangers. But 
it was helpful to number one just get me out of the house and sort of encourage me to go to different locations around um, where I was living and have someone to talk to which was really good and then we moved back here and there's a, a community center on the base um, and so they run some play groups and and different things for kids of different ages so we've gone along to one of the play groups when we moved to Melbourne we also went to like the welcome day that they had at the start of the year which was kind of good fun um, and that was a really good thing because there was lots of the different kind of organizations have their little stands set up and you can have a chat to different people and get information on some of the different services and and what's out there it's really hard I think because sometimes you kind of have to go looking for that information and it's one of those situations where often you don't know what you need until you need it and then you're in the process of how do I find it and it can be a little bit overwhelming and, and a little bit challenging at times to connect in with exactly what you need. And then I guess that's similar as well to, to having you know a spouse network or other defence partners that you are kind of friends with or have connected with you don't actually sometimes know that you need that connection or how important, I guess, having other people who get it around you is until you find it. And then you think, oh, wow, yeah, that actually adds something or, you know, I was missing something in my life because I couldn't fully connect with someone. Family and friends with the best of intentions can, you know, support you and relate to what you're going through. But there's nothing like an, another defense partner who's actually lived it and gets it when you say this or, you know, when you mention needing to find work in another location or whatever the case may be. Did you place any in sort of what sort of importance did you place on having other defense partners around you or at what stage did you find you had a good spouse network? It takes a little while, I think, sort of as I was saying before, when we got together, I, I didn't feel like I needed that because I was already somewhere that I felt comfortable and, and had a lot of support and, and a big network. When we went to the US, there's an overlap um, because of the way the academic year runs and, and the length of the study that they do. So there was already a, a um, defence member there and I met his partner who he'd actually met over there. So we spent some time together and then it's a follow-on posting so they do the study and then they move into a specific position so when we came back to Australia and we were in location with them and so we were able to connect and spend time with them which was really great and and sort of through them met a few other people as well but like that was sort of a challenging situation in being away um, and what I found is when we were in the US we obviously had someone coming over after us and, and overlapping with them um, and so I actually one of the things I did was I worked on a document. I was like, okay, this is the address of the social security office we went to. And, and these are the things that I bought like out of my kitchen. And this is the stuff that I really wished I'd bought over with me. Um, and, you know, so I tried to send that on to them and, and sort of hopefully help their transition be easier. Um, and then when they came back to Australia, we kind of all caught up and, and because sort of the person ahead of us, us, and then the person behind us, the, the boys were all working together in the office. So we did actually have some time where we would, you know, have coffees and dinners and, and catch-ups and things, which was really good. But I was lucky in that when I was in Melbourne, the church we we went to and started attending, there was a, a defence um, family there. And through them, I met some of the more local people that were close by to to where we were living and, and was actually able to make some connections. But again, it, you sort of feel like you connect and then they move on. So the initial family that we'd connected with, um, they were on exchange from New Zealand. So their time was up and they went back to New Zealand. And then probably the 
the partner and the family that we spent the most time with after that, um, they got posted overseas. And so they disappeared for 12 months and they were coming back just as we were leaving and you sort of cross paths. But I think the really good thing with once you have got some defence connections and kind of closer relationships is that everyone gets that. And so it's not unusual to not see them in person for three or four years and then you have coffee together and you feel like you've just seen them the day before because it's a different approach to relationships and it's a different kind of, I think a different level of forgiveness for the lack of contact or, or all those sorts of things. On the flip side, it also can sometimes mean that you become fast friends as well because you're on a time crunch. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We desperately are designed to, to be in a community of people and, and that whole, you know, it takes a village kind of lifestyle. And yeah, when we find someone who kind of even vaguely gets it, we want to make the most of that friendship for however long it goes for. So mental health wise, what do you do to look after your mental health? Mental health was not something that I'd ever necessarily considered in great detail and until we went to the US and I I sort of had to struggle through that change in identity and, and some of those kind of things. And so now I, I try and make sure that number one, as much as possible, keep really good, clear communication with with Stuart about, you know, what am I struggling with? I'm married to an engineer. They can get very task-focused, very problem-focused, solving things. Same. Um, but sometimes I'm like, no, 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 I just need you to listen. Like I'm just I'm just emotional and I'm just sharing this information. I just need you to, to smile and nod. That's all. So, yeah, just trying to make sure that they understand where I'm coming from and, and the challenges that I face I think is really important. And then it's little things as well you know, just trying to make sure that I feel that I've got a good support network of people regardless. So um, even though we've left and come back now, I try and maintain some of those relationships and friendships that I had prior to becoming a defence spouse, just so I have a break from this life of defence as well. Because I think sometimes you can get really wrapped up in it and it's nice to have something that's you know, people that know me for me and the interests that I have and the person that I was. And so what have you learned along the way? Have you got any words of wisdom that you can impart on a new spouse or someone that may be going through something similar or might be going on an overseas posting? What have you learned along the way while being a defence spouse? Yeah, I feel like probably lots of different things for lots of different situations. I mean, practical level, I have a spreadsheet that has our addresses for the last 10 years because you actually get asked for that with surprising frequency and just, you know, being able to have easy access to that is good. Um, and you're married to an engineer. So spreadsheets sound like a, you know, <sighs> a romantic Friday night to them. Pretty much. That, that is actually a really valid point. Yep. <laughs> um, I think just don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to admit that you don't know what the heck is going on. Cause reality is, you know, even after six years, well, I don't know what's going on half the time, you know, the acronyms and, and everything it's a whole nother language and so yeah just really speak up and and say no I don't know what that is and and ask for the help and to make the most of each opportunity as well and and I know that sometimes that's really hard because we get sucked into the day-to-day of cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and going to work and coming home and just make the most of each location and what it has on offer and then yeah I think the really big one is just work on that communication and keep talking to your partner and and keep reminding them that as much as defence is the lifestyle that we're a part of, 
we have thoughts and feelings and and they're valid and they have value and and they have a place in in all the conversations as well it's the lifestyle but it's not life yeah (laughs) exactly yeah I mean I've been to a number of retirement dinners and lunches or whatever you want to call them and when it comes down to it the the spouse gets a bunch of flowers and the defense member gets a plaque and the next person comes along kind of thing so it's like yes it's valid to have that loyalty and put your all into that job and that career but just remember outside of that you know what exists and what's important yeah beyond going to work every day or as you said at the end of retirement once you're coming home to you're coming home to your family and to your friends and and those relationships so making sure to take the time to invest in them and keep them strong and healthy will be yeah really important well thank you so much for coming on the podcast Catherine and telling us all about your spouse journey and the ups and downs of overseas and fertility and I guess you know getting established in the different locations and finding your people no worries thanks for having me I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 